Why, O oh people of the Noldor, he cried, why should we longer serve the jealous Valar, who cannot keep us nor even their own realms secure from their enemy? And though he be now their foe, are they not and he of one kin? Vengeance calls me hence, but even were it otherwise, I would not dwell longer in the same land with the kin of my father's slayer and the thief of my treasure. Yet am I not the only valiant in this valiant people? And have ye not all lost your king? And what else have ye not lost, cooped here in the narrow land between the mountains and the sea? Hey guys. Hey there. Welcome back. Welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. Or welcome to, it's your first episode. Season two, uh, or excuse me, episode two of season three. Yeah. This is season three, baby. This is where we're, we're really hitting our stride, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, today's pretty exciting because we've got something new, actually. Something new. Well, I suppose if it's a new episode, it's always something new. But we're starting a new three-part series. Yeah, I know how you guys love those three-part series that we always do. Uh, last one we did was Kingdom of the Dunedine, right? Yeah, that was super fun. Season one, I think it was the uh, tales of the the major tales of the first. Yeah, age. the chief tales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, season three, what do we got, Danny? We got for you the Princes of the Noldor series, which may very well be way more than three parts. For yeah. those of you out there that know, there are obviously way more than three princes of the Noldor. Right. There's a shitload of them. And um, we're going to talk about three of the big ones slash our favorite ones. Yeah. I think these are kind of the three big ones. Yeah. These are the three big ones. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great, guys. Um, this is kind of by popular demand, too. We've had some people ask us for character profiles of some of these princes, so mm-hmm. we're going to be doing them now. Yeah. So we thought this was a good way to go about it. Yeah. Princes so, uh, of the Noldor. If you haven't figured out by the uh, opening excerpt there, that's a quote from our good friend Feanor. And that's what this episode's going to be about. First and foremost, who of the princes of the Noldor better to cover first? Right, yeah. The mightiest of them. Yeah, and then uh, next week we're going to be covering uh, Fingolfin, who's one of our favorites. That's right. Feanor's brother. Half-brother. Half-brother. Don't forget the distinction. Half-brother and blood. But we'll learn all about that in the next two episodes. Oh, yes. Prepare your ears. And then for number three, we got the son of Finarfin, Finrod Felagund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Finrod's like one of everyone's favorite. Yeah, everybody loves Finrod. Kings. Yeah. So first, we'll start off briefly, just kind of talking about who the Noldor are, since we're talking about the princes of the Noldor. Yeah, that's a good place to start. So the Noldor, being a group of elves, they were the second group of elves to awake at Quivienen. Yeah. And we talked about, yeah, the awakening at Quivienen at the Sundering of the Elves episode. Oh, yeah. Definitely refer back to the Sundering of the Elves to get a lot more explicit information on all this. On all this, yeah. Um, and they were originally led by Tata, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, that's that's how I pronounce it. Yeah. Which gave them the original name, the Tatyar, rather than the Noldor. And uh, later on, they they uh, they choose Finway as their king, and he's kind of the patriarch of the whole Noldor clan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Finway is the one that they actually we talk about this in that in the Sundering of the Elves episode too. He's the one that they send as an emissary to Valinor first. So he's one of the first three elves to go to Valinor. One of the first three elves to see the light. 
And this is when we get the first distinction between the basically the regular elves and the high elves. High elves. And uh, the, the definition, at least what I could come up with for a high elf, is uh, meaning that they have dwelt in Valinor at one time or another, or are descended from exiles of Valinor. Okay, so not only just the people who have seen the light of the trees, but those who descend from them. Right, like is Elrond any less of a, a Noldor than you know anybody? I mean, he is because he's half elven. But bad example. <laughs> bad example. Uh, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand. They're still what high you elves. Yep, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The Noldor are known specifically as the Deep Elves. And that kind of comes from the original term that Tolkien used for the Noldor, right? The gnomes? Um, gnomes, the word gnome, I believe, comes from the the Greek word, uh, like, it's like no, gnosis or something like that. It means to know. So, like, those who know, essentially, is what a gnome is. Right. Yeah. Which kind of means, yeah, those who... Yeah, that was his ori- that was yeah. his original term for the Noldor because they were supposed to be, you know, the deep, all-knowing clan mm-hmm. of elves. But yeah, I think gnome kind of got mixed up with like yard gnomes. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah, so then he switched it over to the Noldor. Yeah, or Noldo for singular. Oh, you Noldo, and uh, yeah, so they're they're deep elves, and so that means they're known for uh, their thirst of knowledge, and also they're known for their high quality smithcraft. Yeah, the, we get some of the best smiths. I think actually. I think we can safely say the best smiths of any of the children of Ilavatar, right? Come yeah, because that's that's uh, yours truly, Feanor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's who we're talking about today. So the Noldor in um, in Valinor, they have two main cities. One is Tyrion, which is on the hill of Tuna, and the other is Formanos, which is in the north, right? I think it's further north. Yeah, Formanos is in the north, and they also have a. Uh, it's kind of a fort, isn't it? Yeah, it's more of a fortress than. Mm-hmm. So we're, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're we're going to talk about Formanos. Yeah, so let's get let's get right into <laughs> Feanor himself. Yeah, let's talk about Feanor. Let's talk about the birth of Feanor, guys. Yeah, just so you get a taste of how epic this character is. I mean, just get a load of his birth. Right, <laughs> it starts off pretty pretty epic. So Feanor, first and foremost, he's the eldest son of Finway, the High King of the Noldor. Um, he's the product of Finway's first marriage to an elf known as Muriel. Yeah, and uh, her her like uh, her tag along name is Serinde. Muriel Serinde, and uh, she is actually the greatest weaver of all the children of Ilavatar to ever live. So she's really good at sewing. Really good, yeah, really good at sewing. And uh, so uh, well, let's put it this way: she has deft hands. She's very she's good with her hands. So like that's where Feanor gets that that he inherits that skill of hand from her. Oh, is that where he inherits his, his skill? Yeah. Okay. When Feanor was born, his his given name was actually Kuru Finway, but he was later almost immediately known as Feanor, the Spirit of Fire. And then he's never, ever referred to as Kuru Finway again. Right. <laughs> it's a very appropriate name. So much Fea, or uh, I guess that's sort of Tolkien's term for his spirit, went into the making of Feanor at his birth that Muriel went barren after that. And not only barren, she lost her will to live completely. Yeah, and we got a little excerpt about that. Why don't you read it, Joel? But in the bearing of her son, Muriel was consumed in spirit and body, and after his birth she yearned for the release from the labor of living. And when she had named him, she said to Finway, Never again shall I bear child, for the strength that would have nourished the life of many has gone forth into Feanor. 
So Fanor wrecked that shit. Like he <laughs> <laughs> he really he took everything out of her. She was uh, no longer able. Didn't they explicitly say at one point that he had like three times the strength of spirit that than a a normal Eldar would? Yeah, I feel like I heard specifically three times some somewhere in there in the Silmarillion. Well, we learn all about that fieriness. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, it did absolutely destroy poor Muriel. Um, after that, she is laid down and uh, her spirit departs from her, and they bring her body to the gardens of Lorien. Is that right? That is correct, sir. To the care of Irmo. And yeah, also um, her spirit departs to the halls of Mandos like all elves. Yeah. But her body, yeah, lays, and it's incorrupt too. It doesn't rot. Like uh, like Vladimir Lenin, they have him incorrupt in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just a funny comparison. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like Lenin. <laughs> yeah, but since her body remains incorrupt, oddly enough, they have people in Lorien that actually tend her body. And her body is tended by Este and Hermayar. To learn more about Este, see last week's episode. About the Valar. The Valar. All right, let's talk about Feanor, the early years. Oh, do you want to throw out that fun fact before we get to Feanor? Oh, yeah, let's do that. We got a little fun fact here. So after the death of Finway, Muriel was actually reincarnated, and she was put into the service of Vire, the weaver, who we learned about last episode as well. And her job was to weave into the tapestries of the Halls of Mandos the deeds of the House of Finway, yeah, which so is a, it's a double-sided... D- double-edged sword yeah you we had a conversation about this earlier and mm-hmm. you said it almost seemed like that was some way of like sticking it to her like yeah it was almost look i what, feel it was a punishment yeah look at what you and you you the son that you bore has done to the house of finway because it's it, almost exa- feanor fucks up a lot it's, spoiler alert yeah it's almost exactly what uh Mel- melkor does to hurin yeah, she'd have to keep track of <laughs> all of that. Oh, yeah, she'd be weaving some of the saddest tapestries yeah. in the entire world. it's her halls. own family. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of a rough... Questionable decision by the Valar there. <laughs> all right, well, now let's get into Feanor, the early years. Yeah, get into some of his uh, his younger years. And one of the things about Feanor that everybody noticed is he grew up a lot faster than um, a normal elf would. He grew swift and quick, and he was quick to learn things. But when uh, Feanor was still young, his father married Indus of the Vanyar. Yeah, and so this being Finway's second marriage, Feanor had some issues with it. And she actually bore Finway a handful of children. So here Feanor gets four step-siblings. Or I shouldn't say step, they're more half. They're half-siblings. They're half-siblings. So the children of Finway and Indus are Fingolfin. Fenarfin, and two sisters who I had honestly <laughs> never heard of until we never we did this yeah. episode. Yeah, we never hear from them. And the two sisters are Fendis and Irame. Yep. <laughs> Once again, just a couple more female characters that we never hear shit like about. Like all the shit that's about to happen in this story, ne- never are they mentioned in it. No, and this is all... Like directly involving their family, family, and we never hear from them ever. Like after uh, we were talking about this episode and some uh, some of the information about Feanor, and I found out from Danny that Feanor technically has a couple half sisters that we never hear about. I'm just like, what do they go to? Do they go to Middle Earth in the end? Do they stay like? Do they stay in Valinor? We never hear anything. What do they do? And yeah, and it's actually said 
explicitly that he Feanor is he has little love for the sons of Indus, but they specifically use the word sons, which leaves open the fact maybe he has a good relationship with yeah. his sisters. Maybe he's cool with them. But I mean, this brings us to our next point. He totally didn't live with them at all. He he stayed away by himself. So it's probably safe to say that he probably wasn't he probably close didn't, to his yeah, sisters either. Didn't like them. Unless they came and visited all the time and they had like a really good... Maybe they're pen pals. I don't know. <laughs> well, as it is with a lot of the Noldor, Feanor was all about learning new shit and just making some really cool stuff. Turns out Feanor was also particularly good at it. We have a little quote here. Small quote. Feanor was mightiest in skill of word and hand, more learned than his brothers. His spirit burned as a flame. Yeah, that kind of hits the nail right on the head when you're describing Feanor. And Feanor spent much of his time improving on the work of Rumil. <clears throat> and Rumil was basically the uh, the language dude in Tyrion. He's the one that like was in charge of you know writing things down. The the okay. scribe, I guess you could say. Yeah, so he scribe was, is a he's good sort word. of the historian. Yeah, yeah. But more so, like, involved with the language and the writing. Okay, so he actually invented, like, the writing. Right, like, yeah, he invented, and then Feanor, um, he... Just made it better. He made it better, and he called it the Tengwar script, and it's also sometimes referred to as the Feanorian script. Now, I know for a fact that Tengwar actually goes on to be the base script for all elven languages. I mean, for Sindar, for um, Quenya, and then uh, what's the third one? Teleron. Teleron, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it becomes pretty much the, uh, the, you know, you know, like Arabic numbers, like it's, it's just standard. Yeah. Yeah. So Feanor also studied under the great, uh, excuse me, he studied under the great Smith Matan. And what's important about Matan is he was the greatest Smith among the Noldor. He actually learned his Smith craft from Aule directly. Yeah. He literally had like a small forge next to Aule's forge. Oh, really? Yeah, like they yeah, he worked literally at the foot of Aule. Oh, cool. So this is a pretty cool dude. And so that means I mean, Feanor's learning craft just almost directly from Aule himself. Yeah. And Feanor, believe it or not, ended up marrying Matan's daughter, and her name was Nerdanel, and she bore him seven sons. Joel, close your eyes and tell me the seven sons of Feanor. Okay. I'm going to put my notes away here. The Seven Sons of Feanor. I'm going to kind of go grouping them by the first letter of their names. So there's Maedros and Maglor. There's Kurufin, Carinthir, and... Oh, I didn't I miss one of the M's? No. So the way I was remembered is two... Maedros and Maglor, Kelegorm, Kurufin, Carinthir. Yeah, you missed Kelegorm. <sighs> I always remember two M's, three C's, and two A's. So Maedros, Maglor, Kelegorm, Kurufin, Carinthir... Amrod and Amras. I literally just say that over and over in my head all the time. Isn't that also their order and age as well? I believe so, yes, because Majors is the oldest. Mm-hmm. And Amrod and Amras are the youngest, so I assume in between is also their... The three Cs. Yeah. And uh, a word of note about the Seven Sons of Feanor, they're pretty much all complete douchebags. Yeah, for the most part. And they're all daddy's boys, too. Oh, yeah, hardcore. So Feanor, he um, uh, a thing to note about him is he prefers to spend his time alone or with his sons. It's almost interchangeable to say like when Feanor's alone, he might also have seven dudes around him, but he's alone because it's just him and his kids, you know. 
Right. He gets. He seems like he gets particularly close to a few select members of his family, like his father right. and his sons. And Feanor, he's uh, restless. That's one of the main... Um, Characteristics. Character, yeah, thank you. Characteristics of Feanor. And he's constantly trying to learn new skills and perfect previous skills. He's also kind of a wanderer. He's constantly traveling through the land of Valinor with his sons. They're, they just want to know everything about everyone, everywhere. And they even learn the extent of the dominion. Like, they travel to the borders of the world, basically, just because they can. Mm-hmm. And we got a little excerpt from you for you about that. Feanor and his sons abode seldom in one place for long, but traveled far and wide upon the confines of Valinor, going even to the borders of the dark and the cold shores of the outer sea, seeking the unknown. So they're just kind of restless wanderers. Yeah. Even though they live in pretty much the most blissful place you could live in the world, they mm-hmm. still seemed, I don't know what the word would be, they're not, they don't seem content. They're just, uh, you heard that song by Hank Williams, Ramblin' Man? They're just rambling, man. (laughs) It's a great song. You should listen to it. I'll have to check it out. Everybody out there, there's this guy called Hank Williams. If you haven't heard of him, (laughs) check him out. All right, we're going to get into the shit now, guys. This is where it happens. Yeah, everything up in here has been almost like prologue. Yeah. So we're going to get into the Silmarils. Here we fucking go. Yeah, this is where things really hit the fan. So the greatest of all Feanor's works, by any account, are the Silmarils. And what, what are the Silmarils, Joel? Well, for those of you who don't know what the Silmarils are, they are three large gems made by the hands of Feanor. Feanor, using unknown methods, captured the mingled light of the trees of Yavanna and somehow encapsulated them into the jewels. So the the jewels actually shone with the combined light of the trees. Yeah, real, real bright. But after a while, like all things super awesome, Feanor became, uh, began to je- jealously covet the jewels. Um, and uh, they were either being worn by Feanor himself on his brow, which he liked to do, or they were locked away in an iron chest. And honestly, those are two pretty safe places. Yeah, that's about as safe as they could possibly be. Because yeah, it's like they're either in an iron chest in Formanos or... Attached to the most like the fiery more, motherfucker Yeah, like around. just just try. Just try. Yeah, you just try to get those. We should do that as a as a <laughs> as a scene. Just uh, Feanor being mugged. <laughs> Fucking try it, man. Yeah. So over the time, he began to lose respect for the fact that the light of the jewels wasn't actually of his making. He took the light from the trees and put them in his jewels. Yeah. Not your original idea, man. No, that was the work of the Valor. That was the work of Yvanna, and that was Yvanna's pride and joy like that was the best thing she had ever created and arguably one of the best things anyone had ever created since the creation of the world itself yeah it's like you couldn't have uh quentin tarantino without sam peckinpah you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) and this also brings us to a another major plot point the unchaining of melkor yes this whole time melkor has been in jail in the halls of mandos Hank Williams sings a lot of good songs about jail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see a reoccurring theme. Yeah. I've been listening to it a lot lately. <laughs> oh, yes. Check it out. <laughs> so, yeah. So, at this time, Melkor, he uh, he repents, and he, he begs for forgiveness from the Valar. He, yeah, because he'd been in jail since since the sacking of Autumna, right? Right. It's been three ages yeah. that he's been in captivity. Long time. So, that was, yeah, right around the same time that the elves left Quiviana. Right around there. It's been a very long time. But yeah, like you said, he repents. 
he asked Nienna to help him intercede with Manway on, on his behalf. In Manway, he eventually uh, releases him um, because the thing is, Manway is free of evil, so therefore he can't comprehend it. <laughs> he does not understand um, just being shitty. Like he just doesn't. Yeah, understand. he doesn't understand why somebody would be that way. Well, that person's shitty. Like that's you know what I mean. Like that's he just doesn't understand that there's shitty people out there. Mm-hmm. Sad for him. Yeah, he genuinely believed that Melkor had changed his ways. Uh, we've got an excerpt from the Silmarillion about that. For Manway was free of evil and could not comprehend it, and he knew that in the beginning, in the thought of Ilavatar, Melkor had been even as he, and he saw not the depths of Melkor's heart, and he did not perceive that all love had departed from him forever. Yeah, originally, when Danny first introduced me to the Silmarillion, and this kind of this kind of stuff happens pretty early on in the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. I was really confused when I heard that. I was like, well. Obviously, Melkor is a pretty terrible person. Why would Manway, if he's such a good ruler, ever think to let him go? Mm-hmm. That's because evil hasn't really existed, right, to anyone. Yeah, up, up to this point. Up until this point, all the—I mean, evil obviously existed within Melkor, but that—that that was pretty much the only source of it. There was no other exposure to it, mm-hmm. so they—they they had no idea how to deal with this kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe he really means it. <laughs> and some of the uh, well. Manway was deceived, let's say that. Man, yeah, some not everyone was <laughs> thrown off by uh, Melkor's repentance. <laughs> and among these guys are Mandos, who don't even try to move him. No. He's like the, uh, I imagine he's like the Clarence Thomas of, I he imagine just doesn't Mandos, speak and like just. <laughs> I don't know if any of you folks listening have played any, any of the God of War, but I imagine Mandos to be a lot like Kratos in that he just shows no joy like ever yeah he's just always serious has no sense of humor and that's the way he is well he hangs out with dead people all day yeah i suppose you'd have to be kind of grim yeah but uh among the uh, so mandos one of them orome obviously he's not a fan of melkor uh ulmo who's the sharpest one of the bunch i think and uh tulkas whose literal purpose in arda was to come kick melkor's ass yeah literally to just come fight him hand to hand yeah so naturally, Tulkas isn't going <laughs> to, he's, he's probably not going to believe it. Yeah. And here's a little excerpt about that. But Ulmo was not deceived, and Tulkas clenched his fists whenever he saw Melkor, his foe, go by. For if Tulkas is slow to wrath, he is slow also to forget. So Tulkas is uh, not one to forget. Yeah. He remembers. He remembers, like the elephant of old. Isn't that funny that we can say that soon? The elephant of old because they're going to be extinct in like 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, elephants are kind of dropping dead. I'm going to explain to my nephew who's like six months old what an elephant is like later on in life. There used to be these big things that walked around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's going to be like bully mammoths to us. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Save the elephants, guys. <laughs> this has been hard. <laughs> this has been hard. <laughs> Keep on talking public service announcement for this episode. Save the elephants and the whales while you're at it. Next episode, we'll be talking about the bees. <laughs> yeah, where are all the bees going? That actually is a very a legitimate question. It's where are problem. the bees going? We'll do a different episode on Tolkien <laughs> and bees later. Okay, so Melkor. Melkor plays the part of the good guy pretty well. Um, he offers his help to anybody who asks and is uh, somewhat of a good, good presence around town for a while. Yeah, he plays his cards right. I mean, as right as you can after pretty much fucking up the entire world. Right. And uh, he cozies up with the Noldor almost right away. 
Which makes sense. Because they're super eager to gain and uh, to listen to people and to gain more knowledge. Yeah, and this gives him the perfect line, just a, a main line to just feed his lies and his deceit right into Noldor society. Yeah, that's what he's doing, man. He's just mainlining that shit right into him. We got a little excerpt about that here. But the Noldor took delight in the hidden knowledge that he could reveal to them, and some hearkened to words that it would have been better for them never to have heard. Yeah, they hear some stuff they probably shouldn't. Yeah, because that was Melkor's way. He'd tell them truths and really good, real information, and then along with it, just weave in, you know, his lies and his little deceits. So it's like you get a truth with a lie, and they just take it all. Isn't there like a song lyric or something that says, like, mixing truth with lies? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of song lyrics about that kind of shit. If you guys know what I'm talking about, hit me up, because it's driving me crazy. Maybe one of you authors that listen to us out there knows. We have authors listening to us. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that, that makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, right? So Melkor, he tells the Noldor, this is one of his lies that he feeds to them. He tells the Noldor that the Valar are keeping them, being the elves, captive here on Amon. And he says that this is because they want to save Middle-earth for men to have dominion over. The second coming, the second children of Ilavatar who haven't come yet. Yeah, because you got to keep in mind, they've been in Valor, uh, Valinor for a really long time now, so mm-hmm. a lot of them, like Feanor, was born in Valinor. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't exactly he knows no have, other life. Yeah. He doesn't have exactly a clear idea of what Middle-earth was like. Mm-hmm. He didn't know that Melkor fucked half the shit up and there's still a bunch of his monsters running around. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, life is rough over there. But uh, he's... Ch- so here Melkor is trying to convince the Noldor that the Valar are basically working against them. He's basically just trying to get the Noldor to turn on the Valar. And uh, Melkor and Feanor, they have a very special mutual hatred for one another. One of my favorite uh, things I found recently on Twitter is a, a blog called Middle-Earth Reflections. And it's run by uh, a lady named Olga. And she wrote an article that is comparing, it basically makes the argument that they don't like each other because they're very similar people. Yeah, he came across this article and uh, he showed it to me too. And it was actually really fascinating and pointed out a lot of really cool points basically about how similar Melkor and Feanor are. And I had never realized how many similarities there are between their characters and even their actions. Yeah. Middle Earth Reflections is dope, guys. Check it out. Yeah. Shout out to Olga. How's it going? Yeah, how's it going? And uh, we're actually going to read a little excerpt from that blog post. This is totally with her permission, by the way. I asked her first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so an excerpt from the blog post of Melkor and Feanor by Miss Olga. This poisonous combination of pride, restlessness, and possessiveness in Melkor and Feanor is very unhealthy. Among the bliss of Amon, the storm is gathering from the lack of harmony and inner peace. Disharmony becomes the root of all evil in Arda. Its connection with greatness and the desire of the great to put their exceptional skills and knowledge to action. Hence restlessness and impatience as direct consequences of disharmony, which leads to rebellion. The two geniuses feel underestimated, underrated, and generally misunderstood, Both Melkor and Feanor rebel against the authority directly above them. Melkor rises against Ilvatar and Feanor against the Valar. Both revolts involve causing substantial discord, a lot of others attuning to disharmony and strife, and both have far-reaching consequences for the whole of Arda for many an age. 
Based on arrogance, the rebels' disrespect of authority and a shameless challenge to those in power points to the extreme levels of self-assurance, egocentricity, and pride. Yes, so there's that factor of them being almost the same person. <laughs> so them being the same person, and uh, they naturally love the same thing, and they love that more than anything, and that thing is... The Silmarils. The Silmarils. And Melkor really wants them, and he's going to do anything he can to lay hands on them. Yeah, upon seeing the Silmarils for the first time, he immediately starts plotting how he can take them from Feanor. That's all he thinks about, night and day. And this is when the lies of uh, Melkor really start to take root in all our society. Uh, Melkor, like a 13-year-old girl, is really good at starting rumors about people. Nasty rumors, too. So one of the first lies that Melkor really, or excuse me, one of the first lies of Melkor that really start to come out in the Noldor was his uh, previously mentioned lie, the idea that the elves were being held prisoner in Valinor against their will by the Valar. And the second one is that Fingolfin sought to usurp Feanor's place as the heir of Finway, and he sought to take the Silmarils for himself. Yeah, that one a little more directed right at Feanor, <laughs> yeah, really trying Jesus. to cause some family problems. And that one actually works beautifully. Oh, yeah. Hook, line, and sinker, baby. Yeah, Feanor just eats that shit up. He immediately starts to think that his brother, his brothers are working against him. And Feanor, um, he creates a secret forge, and he begins to do something that hasn't previously been done in Valinor, and that's forge weapons. Yeah, this is the first time weapons have ever been forged, right? I mean... Except for probably Ianwe. I don't know. He's always using weapons. I suppose. He is the weapons master, and they already have had battles. Yeah. So, so this is this first time children of Illavatar. Well, you know, Melkor, weapons. he got the designs for weapons from Melkor, so that means the Valar definitely they already They definitely knew. have weapons, yeah. Okay. So this is the first time that the children of Illavatar ever make weapons, and he does this in secret. And he also starts to just kind of low-key speak <laughs> openly against the Valar. Yeah, now he's, he's straight up talking behind their backs. Got a little excerpt about that for you. For Feanor now began openly to speak words of rebellion against the Valar, crying aloud that he would depart from Valinor back to the world without, and would deliver the Noldor from thraldom if they would follow him. Yeah, and uh, may we also say that Feanor is known to be a particularly good public speaker. Yes. So a lot of his public speeches like this one really take heart in the other Noldor. Because it's like that, that fiery spirit, man, like in leaders, it's uh, contagious. You know what I mean? Like it's, Yeah, it's really effective. Yeah. He definitely inspires. And so as soon as Finway, his father, hears about this, he's really disturbed at all these things that are going on. Because yeah, this is the original guy that told him to come here. You know? Right, and now all of a sudden there's these rumors going around that the Valar are holding them against their will, and there's you know all this unrest, and Feanor seems to be pretty pissed off about something. So Finway calls a council, a council of all the lords of his house, to try to get to the bottom of this, because this is supposed to be Valinor. You know, this is like heaven on earth. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And just as a side note, so this is when... Um, the episodes of this week and next week start start to sort of overlap. So I tried to do more Feanor-related things of events that have both Feanor and Fingolfin in them. So there's going to be a little bit of repeat information, guys, but it's going to be, uh, be a fresh perspective, hopefully, from each of the characters. So yeah, and this is when Fingolfin arrives, comes on the scene. So at this council, the first to arrive is Fingolfin. 
and he begins to talk to his father, Finway, about restraining his brother, Feanor, against what he assumes is probably going to be some pretty rash actions, which yeah. is true. Yes. Unfortunately, in him saying that, it became a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because as he says this, Feanor comes striding in, and he is armed to the teeth with a sword and mail and everything. And this is the first time any of the elves have ever come openly yeah. brandishing weapons and armor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it must have been a sight to see. Uh, and what he does immediately is he confronts fin- Fingolfin about trying to usurp his place. Yeah, because he genuinely believes that Fingolfin, his younger half-brother, is trying to take his place as ruler mm-hmm. after you know Finway, their father. And so Fingolfin's not the most, like, he's a great warrior and great fighter, but he's not the most pugnacious person out there. Like, he's not trying to fight all the time like Feanor is. Right. So he confronts Fingolfin, and Fingolfin tries to do the big boy thing and just leave the room. Yeah, he doesn't say anything. He, he just kind of turns and <laughs> yeah. he's like, okay, we're going. Turns and walks away. But wouldn't you know it, Feanor, like, you know, that kind of like, you that know. fiery spirit. When my grandparents used to fight really bad, they would always be like, you know, they were like old and deaf. So like one of them would be like, oh, fuck you. And then you'd be like, what did you say? And then they'd be like, I said, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what it kind of And it just kind of elevates. Yeah, it just escalates. Escal- he's the kind escalates. of person that says, what did you just say? That's Feanor. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's the one that's jumping in front. And so he jumps in front of Fingolf and he's like, hey. And he draws his blade. Yeah, as Fingolfin's leaving. As he's trying to leave and de-escalate the situation, draws a blade, puts it on his brother's chest, and threatens to kill him right there. Yeah, it says something fancy like, See, half-brother, this blade is sharper than thy tongue. Yeah. Because he, he thinks that Fingolfin's been spreading rumors and shit about him. Mm-hmm. We got some cool excerpts from this scene in the next episode, too, guys. So. Oh, yeah, it's a really, it is a really epic scene. Yeah. But uh, even after that confrontation, Fingolfin once again just walks off and leaves. So seeing how quickly this escalated, (laughs) the Valar now are very concerned. And they summon Feanor to the Ring of Doom for questioning. And when you're going to the Ring of Doom, this is when we are getting down to shit and we're figuring out what's going on. Yeah. They figured they were missing something. Yeah. And so they <laughs> they quickly figure out that it's basically Melkor that started all this. Mm-hmm. And they get everyone, everyone that was involved or had any knowledge of the, the matter was present. And yeah, after a little bit of question, like not long of questioning, yeah. they find out, oh, Melkor's a liar. Wow. Big surprise. Yeah. Who would have thought about that? And... Oh, man, Tulkas, right off the bat, he's just like, no. Nope. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, as soon as they figure out that Melkor was the source of all these issues, Tulkas immediately stands up and leaves the Ring of Doom. He just dips out. Yeah. I hope he's laughing the whole time, too. Ma! Ma! Now it's time. <laughs> the time has come. Ma! But unfortunately, by this time, Melkor's gone. Yeah, he's out of dodge. And Tulkas does not find him. And so, even though that this whole thing has happened... And they realize that it's based on a lie. Feanor is not held guiltless. And he is actually banished from Tyrion, his home city, for 12 years. He did, yeah, I mean, he did break code and he straight up drew his sword on his brother. Yeah, yeah, man, it's a serious crime here. And 12 years, I mean, like, they're elves, so, like, what the fuck? Yeah, 12 years, that's probably, like, a year or two to us. It's like six months in jail. (laughs) (laughs) It's an an overnight over in county jail. Yeah. Um, so we actually have a uh, another excerpt from the Silmarillion about his banishment. Therefore this doom is now made. For twelve years thou shalt leave Tyrion where the threat was uttered. 
In that time, take counsel with thyself, and remember who and what thou art. But after that time, this matter shall be set in peace, and held redressed, if others will release thee. So they're basically saying, like, take some time, let everybody cool off, and if these people are cool with you coming back in 12 years, cool. Yeah, give it 12 years if uh, those you offended, a.k.a. Fingolfin, yeah, is okay with forgiving you, you're good to go. So that, uh, that basically leads us into the Feanor's banishment. Yeah, and he actually, at that point, Fingolfin's such a good guy. Like, at that point, he says, if others will release thee. And Fingolfin immediately says, I will release thee. Like, even now, he's ready to forgive him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Feanor, he takes all his super cool shit, including the Silmarils, and he hightails it off to Formanos. Yeah, the other Noldorian city. And Finway actually goes with him as a sign of solidarity because Finway loves Feanor more than any of his sons. Yeah, Feanor and Finway, they both love each other above almost above all else, anything. Yeah. Isn't that what Bay stands for? Above, above all else? Is that what Bay stands for? <laughs> Somebody told me that. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true either. <laughs> anyway, okay. So yeah, he always loved Feanor best. And uh, Fingolfin temporarily rules the Noldor and Tyrion, which... <laughs> Kind of makes the lie that Melkor told true about Fingolfin yeah. trying to usurp the throne. And that's what I like to call the That's So Raven dilemma. <laughs> Which if you've ever seen the show That's So Raven, it's about a girl that has psychic abilities. And she always sees some really out of context shit and then tries to prevent that shit. But then through her actions causes that shit to happen. Yeah, another example of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of funny, because he totally does end up becoming the leader then for a while, for those 12 years. Yep. At least of the Noldor and Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Which is the real big city. Yeah, that's that's kind of their capital. So during this time, Melkor is nowhere to be found over this over the course of these 12 years. And Tulkas continues to look for him, but to no avail. But one day, wouldn't you know it, Feanor gets a knock on the door. Who's there but friggin' Melkor? Melkor comes to his uh, now home in Formanos, and uh, he basically tells Feanor that he thinks Feanor was banished unjustly and offers to help him in the Noldor. Kind of suspicious. Yeah. Hey, we got, hey, guy. I'm just here to... We did this as a Tolkien theater in season one, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. A <laughs> uh, quick excerpt about their meeting. But if the heart of Feanor is yet free and bold as his words in Tyrion, then I will aid him and bring him far from this narrow land. For am I not Vala also? So here he's just trying to continue to press for Feanor and the Noldor to leave, basically, to leave Valinor. Yeah. And this is kind of when Melkor kind of gets it over on Feanor. Feanor's starting to kind of see his... He's like, yeah, maybe we should just leave. Fuck the fuck of Valar. Yeah, he's almost... Yeah, Melkor has almost got it here. Almost got it. Feanor kind of hesitates as he's thinking about it. And then, uh, hoping to just drive the nail in the coffin, he d- he does a dumb thing. And he goes ahead and he uh, mentions the Silmarils. Don't ever mention a man's Silmarils. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, he says that the Valar are going to try to take these Silmarils from Feanor. Yeah, so Valar, yeah, he basically says Valinor might not be the best place for your Silmarils also. I don't know if you thought about that. You might want to leave in case the Valar want to take them. Yeah, man. And this is where you really fucked up. That was bad. Shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that's that's when Feanor finally sees through all of his shit. We've got, a, we've got an awesome excerpt about that as well. 
but his cunning overreached his aim. His words touched too deep and awoke a fire more fierce than he designed. And Feanor looked upon Melkor with eyes that burned through his fair semblance and pierced the cloaks of his mind, perceiving there his lust for the Silmarils. Then hate overcame Feanor's fear, and he cursed Melkor and bade him be gone, saying, Get thee gone from my gate, thou jail crow of Mandos. And he shut the doors of his house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers in Ea. Oh, that's one of my favorite parts of the Silmarillion. Get thee gone. Get thee gone from my gate, thou jail crow of Mandos. Wow, what a line. That's such a Feanor line, too. This episode was really hard when I was writing it because I was like... What quotes do you use? Yeah, can I just read all of his dialogue? Yeah. Everything he says is just super epic. Everything he says should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> all right, now we're going to get into where it really starts taking off. Yeah, so after that confrontation there, Melkor... Base, I mean, he's obviously really pissed, but he realizes he can't do anything just yet. Mm-hmm. So he Biding takes off... Biding his time. Yeah, he bides his time. He takes off for a while. But that's when we finally get to uh, this event that happens at the end of Feanor's 12 years of exile. And so, at the end of Feanor's exile, they decide to call a council at the throne of Mandos to try to put this, to bury the hatchet, as it were. Yeah, put it all to rest. And Feanor shows up, and he's dressed plainly, which people think is weird, because Feanor's usually wearing, like, the coolest jewelry that he yeah. made, and, like, all that stuff. Everyone is expecting him to come super decked out. Yeah. And he's not even wearing the Silmarils, which everyone was certain that he would wear those Silmarils in Oh, here. yeah. He usually does. It's kind of a symbol of his pride. But it, sa- it actually says in the book he did that to specifically deny them the sight of the Silmarils. <laughs> <laughs> he-, he did it to be withholding. Which is a fatal mistake, turns out. So Fingolfin, uh, excuse me, Fingolfin meets Feanor at the throne of Manwë, and this is when Feanor is finally released from his grievance. Fingolfin gives Feanor his hand, and uh, basically he publicly accepts mm-hmm. Feanor's uh, place as eldest. You know, he publicly says, "You know, I understand you are the heir, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to try to take that from you." And he says, "Where you lead, I will follow." And all this time, Feanor doesn't say much. Yeah, he literally just kind of stands there like, I think he says, I hear thee. Yeah, he just responds with, I hear thee. (laughs) I hear thee. So be it. I think that's what he says. I think he says, I hear thee. So be it. But I mean, at least he played ball. You know, you can tell he's not happy. Yeah. But he still, he goes through with it. And at that, at this point, everything is pretty good. You know, all is forgiven. And you know what that means. Everyone, right? everyone's, you know, feeling happy about it now. Yeah. So you know what that means. It's time to fucking party. It's party time. So they, so they th- throw a party. <laughs> <laughs> they throw a party. Exactly. So a huge festival's thrown. Huge, um, huge. Um, and yeah, it's to celebrate the new peace among the Noldor. And during this feast, when everybody's having a good time and everybody's preoccupied. They just got over all this they shit. They just got over all the lies. All the lies. And uh, this is when Melkor decides to make his move. Yeah, it turns out all this time that he's been gone, Melkor has actually been sa- down south in Avathar, buddying up with a certain demon, a certain spider demon that we know as Ungoliant. Fuck Ungoliant. She's gross. She's disgusting. Melkor teams up with Ungoliant, the spider demon, and promises her, basically, treasure. She likes to consume treasure. She likes to consume light. She likes to consume treasure. Pretty much consume anything and yeah, everything she she's can. She's all about that consumption. And he promises her, basically, the best of the best if he, or excuse me, if she helps him. 
So what do they do? Melkor and Ungoliant, they make their way over to the two trees. The coolest thing currently in Earth. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the coolest thing ever in Earth. Yeah. And Melkor chucks a giant spear, pierces the trunks. Sap flows from the wounds. And Ungoliant, being the fat ass that she is, goes up and drinks all the sap. Yeah, it says she like sucks it right out. I drink your sap. I drink it up. <laughs> if you have a tree, and I have a tree, <laughs> and my spider beak reaches all the way over to your tree, <laughs> I drink your tree sap. I drink it up. I yeah, that's you guys should check out the film There Will Be Blood. You'll think that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry guys. Not really, but we're having fun. We're having fun here. Season three. Woo <laughs> So Angaliant, she completely sucks the trees of life. And not only that, she also poisons them as she's sucking the life out of them. Mm-hmm. And this kills the trees altogether. And also makes her huge and powerful. Yeah, she's even more huge now. Huge. She's huge. Melkor and Ungoliant, they then head up to Formanos. What else? That's where the Silmarils are. Mm-hmm. And they head up there and they um they uh, scare the shit out of everyone and they all leave, except for Fenway. Fenway is the only one with enough balls to stand yeah. in the doorway of Formanos and be like, no. Yeah, literally stands up to Melkor and Melkor slays him at the doors of his house. Of his own house. Mm-hmm. And then they plunder all of the the halls of Formanos. Yeah, all of the everything. Yes. Yeah, and in Formanos, it should be noted that they had that's where the Noldor stored most of their precious jewels. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it was like we said earlier, it was like a fortress. Yeah. So yeah. there were just innumerable amounts of just priceless jewels along with the Silmarils, and yeah. they took everything. Yeah, it's the Fort Knox of uh, the Noldor cities. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they said in, in Tyrion, the the roads were like paved with diamond dust. Like, yeah. imagine what their treasure hordes were like. Oh my god! Yeah, dude. Make any dwarf shit his pants. <laughs> so Melkor and Ungoliant, they head up north and they cross the Hellcrax into Middle Earth. And we've talked about the Hellcrax before. It's basically an ice shelf slash slow moving glacier that connects the continents of Amman to uh, takes you right into what Hithlum, right? And Beleriand, the other. Middle Earth in general, the continent. Right, yeah. It takes them from the east northeastern tip of Amman to the northwestern tip of Middle Earth. Middle it's Earth. it's basically Tolkien's version of the Bering Strait. Yeah. But a lot scarier. Yeah, a lot scarier. But yeah, Melkor and Ungoliant, they make it fa- they make it past there. And there's a there's a few stories uh that we could get into right now about Melkor and Ungoliant. Yeah, like, after they get yeah. to Middle Earth, Melkor goes through a lot of establishing because... Yeah. You know, if you'll recall from the Sundering of the Elves episode, not all the elves are in Valinor right now. Right. There's still a lot of There's still a bunch of elves, yeah, you know, over... There are a bunch of folks still back in uh, Middle-earth who some of them have their own kingdoms and such. Anyway, there's uh, there's uh, some stories that go along with Melkor but yeah, coming back to Middle-earth, but we're going to stick with Feanor for yeah, now. Yeah, and we're going to stick with Feanor. And we covered it in the Melkor episode, so go listen, go listen yeah. to episode five, right? Yep. Five, yeah. Anyway, Melkor ends up in Angband. That's really all you need to know. He makes his way back to his fortress. And uh, he puts them Silmarils up in an iron crown and wears that crown upon his head at all times. At all times. And uh, it even says that it it makes the crown particularly heavy, like it is an obnoxious weight. Mm -hmm. But he's so prideful he won't take it off. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it hurts. It makes it's it's hard to hold it up. Yeah, the Silmarils they kind of react against evil. Like they burned yeah. his, they burned his hands when he held them, and mm-hmm. they're like particularly heavy on his head. But he's so prideful and lustful and covetous. I guess he just always wants them. Yeah, he'll put up with it. Showers with them on and everything. He just showers with the iron crown. I could just imagine that'd be funny. Turns out the crown got all rusty because he wouldn't take it off when he took a shower. So back in Valinor now, let's not forget the greatest creations that anyone have ever known. The trees of Valinor are now dead. Gone. They were lighting the world up until this point because there's only starlight. There's no sun. There's no moon. There Mm -hmm. was the trees. And now there's none of that. So naturally, the Valar try to get to the bottom of this. (laughs) Yeah, naturally. (laughs) This is a pretty big deal. Um, So we've got a quick quote from the Silmarillion about the darkening of Valinor. Yet no song or tale could contain all the grief and terror that befell. The light failed, but the darkness that followed was more than loss of light. In that hour was made what seemed not lack, but a thing of being of its own. For it was indeed made by malice out of light, and it had power to pierce the eye and to enter the heart and mind and strangle the very will. So yeah, getting to the bottom of it, they held a great council at the Ring of Doom, like always. So at this council, Yvonne inspects the dead trees to see if there's any kind of damage control she can do. Um, Ultimately, what it comes down to, she explains to everyone else that even the greatest of beings can create something that's so great that they could never be achieved again. And that's what these trees are to her. Right. So basically she's saying... They're pretty much beyond repair, Mm -hmm. and I could never remake them. Yeah, like Orson Welles could never make Citizen Kane again. He did it as his first film and his best film. Yeah, imagine if the only copy of that got destroyed, and he was like, well... (laughs) Library of Congress is like, you have to remake this movie. He's just looking at this all this old burnt-up film. He's like, "Uh, I can't fix it. I don't think I can make it again. Well, he's dead, so it's fine. He's (laughs) He's dead, so it's cool. So ultimately, Ivana... Uh, goes on to say that the light from the trees now only lives in the jewels that Feanor made and nowhere else. She could potentially take the light from the jewels to try to bring the trees back, but that would most likely destroy the jewels. So there is this small ray of hope in that she might be able to she might be able to get the trees back if she were to take the light out of the jewels to try to replenish them. Yeah. But now it kind of comes down to Feanor, because they're Feanor's jewels. Yavanna and the other Valar, they politely ask Feanor <laughs> if, uh, you know, they can... Well, it's not so polite. Some of the Valar kind of yell at him. I like this this part, and there's there's dialogue of the Valar. Like, one of them's like, speak, Noldo. I think it's Tulkas is like, speak, Noldo. Right, because even the Valar are pretty worked up yeah, about this. Yeah, they're worked up about this. So, yeah, he straight up refuses to their faces. And we got a little excerpt about that. Then he cried aloud, This thing I will not do of free will, but if the Valar will constrain me, then shall I know indeed that Melkor is of their kindred. Ooh. Yeah, so he's straight up putting them in a corner. Like, I I don't know what you'd call it. He's he's straight up calling, basically calling them as bad as Melkor if If, they're going to do this. This of free will I will not do, right? That, That line to me, it reminds me of the old... Um, Latin non-servium, which Lucifer said to to God oh, yeah. right before he's cast out of I paradise. I will not serve. I will not serve. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what it re- really reminds me of every time I read it. And this is when things go from bad to worse. Yeah, so just as everyone starts to really, they really start freaking out about 
all of the stuff with the trees being dead. Now they kind of know for sure that the trees are fucked. Yeah. Feanor is not going to let anyone bring back the trees with his jewels, so they're kind of fucked on that front. And then a messenger comes from Formanos with even worse news. <laughs> so as they're in the Ring of Mandos trying to figure out what the fuck to do with the trees... If only we had those Silmarils, we could do something about it. Then there comes, <laughs> here comes the messenger to let you know that so Melkor <laughs> has stolen those very Silmarils. Mm. So it didn't even matter that he was being a dick. Nope. Like, Feanor, that's kind of funny. Like, just <laughs> He didn't have to refuse because <laughs> yeah, he didn't have didn't them. He didn't have to refuse, but you did it anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, vaults are emptied. Everything's gone. Silmarils are gone. Fenway is murdered. Yeah, on top of all that, Finway has also been killed. And this is a huge revelation, because I think this is the first time anyone's been killed in Valinor. He's the first blood to be spilled in Valinor. Yeah, first one to die. And Feanor, he stands up right before Manway. He curses Melkor and then gives him a new name, Morgoth, which means Black Foe of the World. And this is uh, the name that all of the Eldar call him from here on out. I feel like pretty much everyone calls him Morgoth from here on out. Yeah, except for us. Me and Joel like to use Melkor. Literally, I think you and I are yeah. the only people I know of <laughs> yeah, I think that ever call him Melkor. I've everyone, just always referred to it as Melkor. I, like, I've preferred that name, and it's also my gamer tag, so like... Right. <laughs> well, I, yeah. even characters like in, the, in Tolkien's stories, they almost always refer to him as Morgoth after this, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Always, except for us. Except for us. We're the exception. And he also curses the summons of Manway because he's basically like, had you not called me here for this stupid shit, I would have been home and I would have helped. Yeah, Feanor is pretty bitter Yeah, about everything. About everything. And after his outburst, he, he runs out of the, the Ring of Doom to go grieve because his father was incredibly dear to him, as we mentioned. And we've got a, uh, a quote from the Silmarillion about this as well. Then Feanor ran from the Ring of Doom and fled into the night, for his father was dearer to him than the light of Valinor or the peerless works of his hands. And who among sons of elves or men have held their fathers of greater worth? It's a rhetorical question. Yeah. yeah. It, his father was literally the, the one thing he loved most, or the one person, I guess. Yeah. So that was that not, was a pretty... Not, not his wife, Nerdanel. We no, never hear from no, her. No, we... We never hear from her, ever. <laughs> I assume she must have died somewhere along the way, right? Because we never hear anything about I her. I don't know, dude. I should have, when I was doing research for this, I should have found out what happens to her, but I didn't. Even when they get to Middle-earth, we never hear shit? No. Well, after that, Feanor's pretty much had it with everything and everyone. And this is what brings us up to the flight of the Noldor. One day, while everyone is constantly lamenting the loss of the uh, of the light of light in general, <laughs> in general, remember when it used to not be so dark all the time? Yeah, Feanor pops up in Tyrion, and the ban hasn't officially been taken off of him, so he's not supposed to go there. He does it in direct defiance of the Valar. And while he's there, he claims high kingship of all the Noldor. Now that his father's dead, I suppose that. That's true. Makes sense. And he declares that the Noldor should leave Amon and go back to their home in Middle-earth. And we've got a uh, excerpt about what he says here. He gives he gives a, a very passionate speech to the yeah. Noldor at this point. Good and speech. the streets are like filled with everyone that's listening to him. And this is like one of his most fiery speeches where he tries to convince all of the Noldor to leave. Uh, so a quick excerpt from the Silmarillion. 
Here once was light that the Valar begrudged to Middle-earth, but now darkness levels all. Shall we mourn here deedless forever, a shadow folk, mist-haunting, dropping vain tears in the thankless sea? Or shall we return to our home? In Quivienen sweet ran the waters under unclouded stars, and wide lands lay about, where a free people might walk. They lie still and await us, who in our folly forsook them. Come away, let the cowards keep this city. Yeah. I love that. Let the cowards keep the city. Let the cowards. The cowards. Yeah, this is when Feanor uh, really starts to get very confrontational with everyone. He just starts pushing people away. He then does something very stupid. He makes an oath. And this is the uh, an oath to regain the Silmarils and also to kill anyone who stands in their way and that he alone lays, cl- lays claim to them. And as he's doing this oath, all of his sons jump up and they pull out their swords and they put them in the air and they take the oath with them. And yeah, they basically, what they vow that they will slay anyone that keeps a Silmaril from them, regardless if it's an elf, man, beast, or Vala or, Vala or someone, someone unknown yeah. yet. Some unknown creature. Yeah, they're going to kill anybody who takes them from them. And this oath is actually one of the biggest plot points in the Silmarillion. The oath of Feanor and the oath that Feanor's sons take come into effect in pretty much every shitty thing that happens from here on out. Mm -hmm. If it's not the direct cause of it, it just makes it worse. You could almost say this is where the main meat and potatoes story of the Silmarillion starts. Like, this is kind of the incentive moment for... After the oath? Yeah. As soon as the oath is taken, it sets everything else into motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very pivotal part of the book. And uh, this, all this uh, commotion and passion has moved the Noldor to leave. Yeah, it was successful. They they were inspired by him to leave Amon altogether. And everybody... So Feanor was a loner, right? Like, he wasn't a social guy. So, like, a lot of people didn't like him. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it wasn't quite as effective. It, it didn't yeah. get everybody. Well, it, uh, after F- Fingolfin and Finarfin agreed to leave as well, that's when they were. everyone was like, all right. I'll yeah, because there was a large portion of people that were just, like, gung-ho to go. Mm-hmm. And then there were some that were kind of like, eh. Yeah, small a small portion was like, yeah, let's do it. And then the rest are like, hey, Fingolfin, what are we going to do here? And then Fingolfin's kind of like, well, I don't l- want to leave these people to, you know. The rash leadership of Feanor. Because yeah, some so. of Fingolfin and Finarfin's people did want to leave. Mm-hmm. And so they were torn in this position like, do you let the people you're supposed to be ruling just go ahead and leave with someone who you know is a terrible ruler? Yeah. Or do you go with them and help them even though you don't want to leave and you know it's a bad idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just try to mitigate the situation a right. little bit. So ultimately, Fingolfin and Finarfin agree as well to go. And that's kind of what gets all the Noldor like, okay, okay, yeah. let's do this. So let's go over who's leaving. First of all, Feanor and his host and his seven sons. We've got Fingolfin with uh, his two sons, Turgon, Fingon, and their hosts. Then we got Finorfin with his children, Finrod, Orodreth, and Galadriel. And they have the largest host of people. So they, they as they go to leave, they actually travel particularly slow. And that, that's actually an important, an, an important point. Exactly. And we'll see in a little bit why. But about one-tenth of the overall Noldor remain in the city. I guess that's those are... 
the cowards <laughs> that Theodore was referring to. The unmoved. The smart ones, ultimately. Right. So after he inspires all of these Noldor to leave. I like, I like this part of the story. <laughs> he realized, Let's get the fuck out of here. Woo! And then he actually gets a ton of people to jump on his bandwagon. And then he realizes he has actually no means by which he can transport this many people yeah. back to Middle Earth. So <laughs> like thousands, and th- like hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people, right? Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. I love that. He, he's just like, fuck this. We're leaving. And then they're like, all right, now how do we do that? They have no idea. So they decide that the hell corrects, which is one way to get there. They decide that that's a really bad idea, and it's they deem it more or less impassable. A very fair assumption. And the second, the second option is ships. Only problem: the Noldor are not known for shipcraft. No, <laughs> and they have no shipwrights among them. And also, they don't really have the time or resources, even if they did have shipcraft, to build a fleet of ships to bring thousands of people over. Right. So they resolved to go and ask their friends, the Teleri, over in Alqualande on the shores, if they'd like to join them, or if not, if they could just give them their ships. Feanor's pretty dead set to get some ships, and these are the only ones he knows of. Yeah, they got boats, let's go ask them. And this leads up to one of the first real crimes Yeah. after the oath, right? Crimes against elf-manity. Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yes. So <laughs> so Feanor and his host, they get to Elqualande first because they're the fieriest and the fastest. So they get there first and they meet with Alway, the leader. They tell them the story of what's going on. They fill them in and they're like, hey, you know what? You Tuliris are cool. How about you join us? Take those sweet ships over there. We'll never come back. Yeah, let's get out of here. But the Tuliri have absolutely no desire to leave. Why would they? And they... Yeah, they basically just say, no, obviously we're not going to go, and hell no, you are not going to use our ships. And Feanor gets uh, pretty upset about that and tries to tell them that they owe the Noldor yeah. as much. comes back and I'm like, we're the one that taught you how to build cities. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't tell us how to build our ships. Still a no-go. Not happening. <laughs> so Feanor decides to do the next best thing. We're going to kill them all and steal their ships. Yeah, a pretty big dick move. Right, a Feanor move. Yeah, trying to take these ships by force, and obviously it just breaks out into a huge battle. And this is the first elf-on-elf kinslaying ever. The kinslaying. And this is like a particularly horrible crime. Yeah, and like all great movies or whatever, there's three of them. Three kinslayings. This is the first of which. the first of three. All as a result of the oath of Feanor and his sons. Yep. So many Noldor are cast into the sea and killed, and three times as many Teleri, or excuse me, three times the Teleri drove the Noldor back, despite the fact that the Teleri were barely armed. Right, yeah. The Noldor, like we said, were the first ones that started making weapons, so... Yeah, so they had, you know, shields, swords, and whatnot, and the Teleri, they only had slim bows. Yeah, slim bows. Maybe tools that were like... Yeah, some masonry tools, I guess. Pitchforks, I don't know. Hitting them with (laughs) two-by-fours. Dumping boiling oil out of windows and stuff. I hope they got real gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, Fingolfin's host shows up late to the party, and they see that there's a battle already going on. Battle in progress. This is pretty confusing. So Fingolfin and his host, they figure the Teleri were the ones that were the aggressors here. And maybe the Teleri were doing this on behalf of the Valar, trying to stop them from leaving. He wasn't really sure. You know, who knows? Yeah, it's like like if, if you come out 
of a bar and somebody's beating the shit out of your friend, you don't really ask questions. Right. This is a split second decision. Yeah, yeah. You got to decide. Now, people are dying. Mm-hmm. So naturally, he jumps in to help out his family. And so Fingolfin and his host joins the fight. And the tide of the battle is completely turned and the Noldor are victorious. Almost all of the Teleri are killed. But they got them ships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got those. Sh- they got those fucking ships. The ships are secured. So after the battle, they don't immediately leave because they're very tired from the battle, and many of them have died. So they're kind of sad. And they don't know how to sail. And they don't know how to sail. But uh, Asse, who we learned about in uh, the the Valor episode, she's the one of the or he's one of the Maiar of uh, Ulmo. He likes the coasts, and he got really mad, and he started making storms, and the storms sank a bunch of the ships. Yeah, Asse is wrath. Asse is the one that is always associated with the wrath of the sea, Mm -hmm. like storms and crazy waves and things. So he's the one that likes to really stir things up. So he just fucked up those ships. And at this point, they encounter a hooded rider. This is after they come back to shore, because eventually they do get back to shore. They go up. No, they they the Noldor ride those ships north of El Quilande a bit, and they and they park up there. And uh, this hooded rider that they come across, he uh, could be Mandos. We're not really sure, but he issues what is known as the Doom of Mandos. Another important turning point in the Silmarillion. So the Noldor are banished from Valinor. The messenger says that their struggle against Melkor will only bring them more grief, because that's partially why Feanor wants to. Go to Middle Earth. He, yeah. he seeks revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he says it'll be utterly hopeless. The fight against Melkor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how could you hope to right. fight him as an elf? I mean, he's the most the most powerful of the gods that you're hanging out with. Anyway. They're also, they're cut off in the eyes of the Valar. You're cut off. <laughs> uh, that means no help will ever come from them, uh, come to them from the Valar. That's it. They're done. And the messenger curses the house of Feanor, saying that their oath will only bring more evil. As we see in the future, that it does. Uh, refer back to season one, the chief tales of the first age. You get to see all about how the uh, the doom of Mandos and the the uh, oath of uh, Feanor and his sons, and how it just fucks up everything for everyone, everything everywhere for everybody. So after hearing that, some of the Noldor repent, and Finarfin and his host they actually turn back and they go to back to Tyrion. That's only because. They did not take place in the Kinslaying. They didn't get there on time. Right. Like we mentioned, they were the largest host, so they moved the slowest, and they actually missed the Kinslaying altogether. Missed it. They missed it, which good for them. Because <laughs> yeah, good for they, them. they were held blameless on that front, and so after <laughs> they got, they heard this, uh, the Doom of Mandos from this messenger, they are just like, oh, nope, fuck this shit. We are done here. We are donezo. They go back to Valinor, and they're forgiven by the Valar, and they stay there and live in bliss. Yeah, and then uh, from that point on, Finarfin is High King of the Noldor in Valinor, and then Feanor is what's known as the High King of the Noldor in exile. Because mm-hmm. this is when we get the split. So after a good portion of, of the host basically turns back and repents after the Doom of Mandos, Feanor just kind of doubles down on everything you know he's like we still got to get to middle earth like i'm not going to let this stop us fuck the doom of mandos we're going to make epic songs about what we do (laughs) we're way too cool for this shit we're going to go down in history as strong independent elves so uh feanor and his host that he still leads they still mean to leave valinor but they still have this issue of not having enough ships yeah big issue so feanor and his sons and his most loyal they uh they plot together and they decide to take the ships and sail away 
So Feanor and uh, his closest, they take the few ships that they have, they get to the other side, and they set foot and land in Middle-earth. And at this point, uh, Maedros, he's the oldest son, right? Correct. Yeah, he basically looks at Feanor and is like, oh, so who shall we send back for the ships? Who shall come first from the other side? Shall it be Fingon, the Valiant? Yeah, he literally he throws out the name. How about Fingon the Valiant, bro? Yeah, he's like, so uh, who are we going to send these ships back for next? And Feanor's just like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, and he suggests Fingon because he's his beloved cousin. They were really good friends before all this stupid crap started happening. Yeah, before we started getting all this unrest and stuff amongst the Noldor. They, you know, they, they all had friends. They were really close. They're like family. Yeah, I mean, they're cousins, they're cousins literally. Literally, bro. But Feanor laughs and basically says no. They're not going to send the ships back. And we've got an excerpt from the Silmarillion about what he says. Then Feanor laughed as one fay, and he cried, None and none. What I have left behind I count now as no loss. Needless baggage on the road it has proved. Let those who curse my name curse me still, and whine their way back to the cages of the Valar. Let the ships burn. And so they do. And so they burn the ships. Yeah, they they burn those ships, which are described similar to how the uh, trees are with Yavanna, something they can't remake, or how the Silmarils are with Fain or something he can't mm-hmm. remake. Apparently, the ships of the Teleri were the best works of their hands, something that they could, could not never remake. remake yeah. Not only did they Feanor now kill them for the ships, he then he burned them. Burned the ships, never to be seen again. Apparently, they were the fairest ships to sail the sea. Mm-hmm. And this really leaves Fingolfin and his people holding the bag over there. Yeah, totally leaving Fingolfin on the other side, just fucking him over completely. And Maedros, he actually stands aside and he does not participate. He refuses to participate in the burning of the ships because he knows his buddy Fingon is over there. And he's really mad about it. Yeah, he's not He's not having this whole burning of the ships thing and leaving them on the other side, just abandoning the rest of their people. And uh, Fingolfin and his people can actually see the ships burning. And this is something <laughs> that we talked about earlier. Uh, I always wondered how they could see them because they're very far away, right? Right. But I was reading as I was doing my research, Somebody, said, uh, one of the sources was like, because the world is flat, yeah, they could it, see them. At this point, it is explicitly said that Arda it's is flat. flat. Yeah, it's a single plane. Yeah, it's flat. So naturally, I suppose you could see a you giant see miles, burning across, yeah. the, across the ocean. That <laughs> makes perfect sense. So since they can see the burning of the ships, Fingolfin and his note and, and his host know that they have been betrayed and that Feanor burned the ships and just abandoned them back in Valinor. Oh, Feanor. Especially right after you've all been exiled. Like, that's just a real dick move. Yeah. And we're going to leave uh, Fingolfin there for now. We're going to talk more about him in the ne- in uh, next week's episode. Yeah, in the next episode. So we'll leave Fingolfin and his people Back in Amon. Back in Amon. And uh, Feanor and his people, they get to um, the Firth of Drangist, and they go up in through what's known as the Gates of the Noldor, which is like this geological uh, rock formation that allows the river to go through it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain, but it is a really cool. Yeah, it's a cool little feature. So they go up there, and then they, uh, they get to Lake Mithrim, and that's where they set up their camp. And as soon as Melkor finds out that Feanor and some elves have landed back in Middle-earth, well, he instantly sends out his armies from Angband to attack their camp. Yeah. 
Because remember, Melkor's been here for a little bit now. He made it back to Angban, and there were already monsters around left mm-hmm. over anyway. Yeah. So he's got armies again. And this is what's known as Dagor Nuin Gilyath, which means the battle under the stars. And this is because the sun and moon hadn't risen yet. Is this technically the second battle? This is the second. I'm 99% sure it's the second because battle. Because I'm pretty sure there's a previous battle with that takes Sindar. place with the Sindar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this is battle number two of five. Second battle of Beleriand, the battle under stars. So the Noldor, despite being caught completely off guard, they are quickly victorious. Because, I mean, at this point, the Noldor are still a very young peoples. They have lots of energy. And they're very strong. And they've got all of their weapons. And the the orcs, they're just kind of, you know... Yeah. Well, and they had just recently... They're they're still all juiced up from that light of the trees. Yeah. Yeah. They got that power up. They got that that power boost. And yeah, so they they quickly drive the orcs off. But uh, Feanor being prideful and just straight up jazzed from that huge victory he had, he pursues them back to Angband. Yeah, he follows them all the way back trying to like... What, slaughter them all? Yeah, I don't know what his point was, yeah. But he pursues them with a small vanguard of, I assume, his craziest friends. (laughs) But even that vanguard falls behind. Yeah, and the the main host falls even further behind. Uh, And when they're almost at the doors of Angband, the orcs see that Feanor is alone with few friends. And they turn around and they're like, all right, let's fight now, because they have the upper hand. And it's (laughs) as soon as this happens goes from bad to worse again and balrog's issue from inside of angband yeah you just followed him right up to angband so now balrog's coming out not good bad news bears and they uh the balrogs they proceed to slaughter all the rest of fanor's vanguard and he's left alone and he fights there alone by himself for quite a while uh well a decent time even though he's wounded many many times yeah he is the mightiest right he's got that fiery spirit We've got a, uh, a little excerpt from the Silmarillion about his, his final fight here. There, upon the confines of Dor Deodaloth, the land of Morgoth, Feanor was surrounded with few friends about him. Long he fought on, and undismayed, though he was wrapped in fire and wounded with many wounds. But at last he was smitten to the ground by Gothmog, lord of Belrogs, whom Echthelion after slew in Gondolin. There he would have perished, had not his sons in that moment came up with force to his aid, and the Belrogs left him and departed to Angband. So there we see uh, Feanor basically getting his shit handed to him Mm -hmm. in his pride. He chased them all the way to Angband, and then once there, they got reinforcements. Belrogs come out, they more or less beat the shit out of him. It's, It's saying something, though, that it took multiple Balrogs. To fight, to, to kill And they Feanor. didn't even kill him outright. No, that's true. That's true. He was wounded. He was wounded. So he's uh, he's been wounded to the death. And uh, his, they, the sons of Feanor, they take his father, their father back, and they're going to take him back toward Mithrim. But, alas, Feanor can't make it, and he dies on the way. And here's a little excerpt about the death of Feanor. He cursed the name of Morgoth thrice, and laid it upon his sons to hold to their oath and to avenge their father. Then he died, but he had neither burial nor tomb, for so fiery was his spirit that as it sped his body fell to ash, and he was bore away like smoke, and his likeness has never again appeared in Arda, neither has his spirit left the halls of Mandos. Thus ended the mightiest of the Noldor, of whose deeds came both their greatest renown and their most grievous woe. 
Yeah, Feanor was really, truly a two-edged sword. And it's really funny in this moment, we and Joel were talking about this earlier, because in this moment, like right before this excerpt, he sees the peaks of Thangorodrim, and he says that it says that he realizes how hopeless that this whole endeavor is. Yeah. But then... He realizes that Thangorodrim will never be overthrown, as he has his like dying vision. Yeah, by the power of the Noldor, they'll never be overthrown. And... Then right this, after that. Then, yeah, right after that, he's like, but hey, to my seven sons. He makes he, them re-swear their oath, yeah, right? Yeah, he makes them, he, he re-ups the oath and uh, dooms them to avenge him. This is Feanor's last dick move, in my opinion. Because <laughs> he totally could have released them from their oath at that moment, if he really wanted to. Yeah, curse Mer- he uh, cursed the name of Morgoth thrice and laid it upon his sons to hold their oath. Yeah. And avenge their father, even though he knows that it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. He just realized that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is a real final dick move. Yeah. And it, it does end up killing all of his sons. Yeah. Except for one. Except for one. But he's more but he's or less lost Homeless his mind. and crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's never heard from ever again. So he's, yeah, for all intents and purposes, he's dead. And uh, like in the excerpt, when Feanor dies, his spirit leaving his body is so forceful... And so fiery that it consumes his body to ash and destroys it. Yeah, there will be no burial for Feanor. No tomb. No tomb for Feanor, son of Finway. We shall burn like the kings of old. <laughs> like the heathen kings of old. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're quoting Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we're quoting Lord of the Rings Within for the Silmarillion. What the fuck, man? We're stupid. Wow, this is like ultimate nerddom. We're done. Shut it off, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is our last episode. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so Feanor's dead, guys. Let's get into some post-Feanor, like what life is going to be like after Feanor here. So first and foremost, Maedros, the eldest son of Feanor, becomes High King of the Noldor. That is High King of the Noldor in exile. In exile, right. As we found earlier. Yes. And uh, that's uh, yeah, Feanor's eldest son. He's for a little while. For a little while. Yeah, he's the High King for not very long. but Yeah, and we'll get into that in the next episode. Um, so let's not forget also about Fingolfin's host. So after the death of Feanor, Fingolfin's host finally makes its way to Amon across the Hellcracks. Uh, the oath of Feanor continues to live on through his sons and just all of the super shitty deeds that they do. A lot of woe. A lot of woe. And after that, the Noldor are, cut, are in Middle-earth and they're cut off from the Valar. Yeah, so any of the Noldor that left to Middle-earth, they are pretty much completely abandoned by You're the Valar. You're on your own. Yeah, yeah, from here on out. They are left of the devices of Melkor. And the Valar refused to intervene in any way against Melkor. Up until Eärendil, the high, the high star of hope, right? See uh, some episode season, from season uh, one. Season one. It was, uh, oh gosh, that was towards the end. Yeah. Guys, sort of, there's so many. There's I, too many episodes there's now. There's too many. I can't remember. There's too many. I think it's the one right before the finale, so I think it's 14, but I'm not going to... Anyway. Yeah, and also the Neldor, they begin to establish themselves in Middle-earth. Yeah, this is when we start getting some of the Neldorian kingdoms that pop up, like uh, Gondolin, there's a kingdom in Nevrast for a while, then you've got Nargothron. Mm-hmm. All right, dude, let's do our uh, our favorite segment. What did we learn in this episode today? Yeah, so to sum everything up, uh, we kind of learned about the origins of the Neldor, since we're going to be starting this three-part Princes of the Neldor series. Right. Uh, we learned about the birth of Feanor and also the death of his mother, Muriel. We learned about the unchaining of Melkor and the strife among the House of Finway after that and how it kind of caused the discord amongst the Noldor. 
We learned about all Melkor's thieving and murdering in Valinor. And we also learned about the darkening of Valinor. We learned about the flight of the Noldor and the very first kinslaying. One of three. We learned about the burning of the ships at Lascar, the battle under the stars, and of course, the death of Feanor. And that kind of brings to an end uh, everything we've got on Feanor. Yeah. I know he's one of your favorite characters. Yeah, I love Feanor, man. I love everything Feanor says. Um, I think Martin Shaw doing the audiobook has the best Feanor voice ever. Oh, yeah. And I wish that I could somehow recreate that for you guys, but I, alas, was not able to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love Feanor. He's a complicated character. Uh, but he's part one of three. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Part one, guys. Um, thanks for listening. I'd like to say a big thank you to uh, Middle Earth Reflections. Um, and you can find uh, her name is Olga. And you can find her at Melody underscore Muse on Twitter or uh, read her blog at www.middleearthreflections.com. Yeah. And can I say that was a really solid article? Yeah. I hope to. Uh, she pretty much gave me the go ahead to uh, use any anything I wanted to. So. We'll probably hear more from Olga in the future. Yeah, and once again, as always, don't forget to like and subscribe to us on social media. We are on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram. We're on YouTube. Oh, yeah, we have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to us on there. Or on wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. And uh, also, um, Patreon. More recently. More recently, Patreon. So, Patreon is a uh, subscription service where you can choose to do a monthly donation. And uh, when you do a monthly donations, you unlock exclusive content from us here. Uh, we do some really fun stuff, often not sober, and uh, it's very cool. Often not sober. That's kind of putting the light. I don't think we've done a single Patreon thing sober. <laughs> no, yet. we have our fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so people are actually already doing that. So uh, we would like to say thank you so much to the patrons we have. Yeah, because uh, we, we really appreciate it. Every penny does help us bring more for you guys. Yeah. It helps us bring more to the table and uh, give you kind of a better quality product. And as a thank you, we really like making those super uh, fun, not sober <laughs> extra content. Oh, yeah. Just uh, real quick, we do a couple of them. We do, uh, so we did uh, an episode called Dreamcast where we uh, did, you can cast any any actor from any era to uh, roles in the what we did the children of Horan. We made our own children of Horan. Yeah, I really like the I really like the Dreamcast. That was I fun. think that's a lot of fun. I was pretty drunk for that. That was very fun. We've also been doing a little something called Tolkien Gets Sexy, which is pretty sexy. It's basically yeah. just us reading like the dirtiest, smuttiest Tolkien yeah. fan fiction. Yeah. So if you think you'd get a kick out of that, go it's ahead very and uh, fun. check it out. Very fun. But yeah, that's all from us guys. Uh I've been and will continue to be Danny J. And I have also been and may possibly continue to be Joel N. (laughs) And we are Keep On Tolkien. Uh, Have a good one, guys. See you next week. Aure and Tuluva.